Good morning. Good to gather this morning together. Good to have you guys all here. All right, so uh, here we go. Uh, our summer sermon series, the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, we talked, we just finished up a, a series about, the, about heaven. And, and so a couple of the interestingly least preached about things are heaven and the Holy Spirit. And that's just kind of interesting that that as churches, we would not be that great about, about talking about those things. And so it's important to note as we kind of come into this idea with the Holy Spirit that there are different Christian traditions, and, and they place varying emphasis on the different aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, kind of based on their theological perspectives. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we want to be respectful of our brothers and sisters. If there's varying, there's, there's good folks out there who think differently at times about some of these different theological issues. And, and, and we have to always remember that, you know, hey, these are brothers and sisters. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit's one of those things, that, right? It, can, it really has a, a wide gamut of, of thought and practice out there in the world. And so we're going to look at, at, at some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the, the Holy Spirit, and, and I think most important, kind of the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person. It, it, it's a member of the triune nature of God. It's, it's part of the Trinity. And so, so the, the, uh, the, the Spirit isn't just, I think sometimes as Christians, we just want to experience the Holy Spirit. We just want to experience and, and, and have these experiences with the Holy Spirit, but, but people are not just made to be experienced. They're made to be known. And as a matter of fact, we can't fully experience someone without really knowing them. And so we want to spend some time, and we want, we want to know more about the Holy Spirit, about what God's Word teaches us about the Holy Spirit here. Um, it, it goes way back. It's, I, I mean, I won't do it justice, and, and, and Beth Moore in a study a long time ago really talked about how the, the Holy Spirit in, in, the, uh, in the temple, in the tabernacle, how it was evident in the, uh, in the lampstand. You know, within the holy place, there's, there's the lampstand, and there was the, the, the table of incense and the table of the showbread, and, and then there was the, the holy of holies. And, and it was the priest's duty constantly to go in and to keep the light going within the holy place. And it was the only light that was in the holy place was, was given by this lamp. And, and, and it's cool because the difference between a lamp and a candle is that a candle consumes itself. A lamp is actually burning, the wick is actually burning off the oil that it's submerged in. Well, what we see in the, in the Bible is this idea of the Holy Spirit. And, and we see that the Holy Spirit is, is oftentimes tied and, and given kind of uh, symbolism and imagery in the, in the Bible as oil. And so Jesus, as he is crushed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when we see this, this, this struggle that he has in his, at the end, right before his crucifixion, where it says that he's, he's praying all night and, and he's sweating drops like blood and... and and we see that he's just being pressed. And what's interesting is that the, the Garden of Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means the olive press. And so when you press olives, what does it mean? It means that, that the olive oil, that pure olive oil comes out of that. And what did Jesus tell us as he left? He said, you'll actually be better off if I leave now and that the Spirit comes. And we think, man, that's, that's kind of a hard one because we all think, man, 
What would it have been like to just walk with Jesus, to be right there with him and just day in and day out and figuring it out? Well, as he left, he told us actually the reality of it is, is that we would be better off once we got to the church age and the Holy Spirit came and began to indwell and teach and guide us. Um, <clears throat> we look at the disciples and we think, man, to have just walked right there with Jesus, but it was pretty obvious that they weren't always getting it, were they? There was, there was a lot of struggles that they were having. And, and until the Holy Spirit came and it came upon the church, the church wasn't mobilized. The church didn't, wasn't really going anywhere. As a matter of fact, those guys were trying to figure out what they were going to do next. Peter was like, gosh, I don't know. I think let's just go back fishing. I mean, that's, that's kind of a guy's, you know, guy doesn't know what to do. He's like, let's go fish. I don't know, you know, let's go hunt or fish. Um, so Peter's getting, and he's, he's, he's head back and, and is ready to go fish. But, but, but when the day of Pentecost comes and the Spirit comes upon the church, man, that's when the church is energized and mobilized. And that's when what begins and, and initiates this whole church age is through the Holy Spirit. The family unit is, is based on the, the, the triune nature of God. Um, without getting too far into it, because we don't have time right now, but, but what we see is we see, we see that the Father is the head of this relationship. And Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. And, and he's, he's, uh, we, we see that Jesus is submissive to the Father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm doing the things that the Father is doing. I'm saying the things that the Father is saying. And then we see out of that relationship, we see the third person of that is the Holy Spirit. And in some of the early doctrinal creeds of the church says that out of the Father and the Son precedes the Spirit. And, and so it's this idea then that, that in marriage, that God has, has, has formed marriage and the family, and, and one of the... the the, the most important uh, role and function of the family is, is for society. It, it's for the structural um, cohesiveness of society. It, it's for the basis of society. And, and the way that God designed that is he, he designed that, that there would be a, a father, a, man, a, a husband, and, and that he would lead in his family. He would, he would be a leader, not, not a leader from like a king at the top of the uh, of, the, of the pyramid, but, but as a, a servant leader, he would serve and lead his family, but lead nonetheless. In the Bible, <clears throat> and again, don't start throwing anything at me because we don't have time to get into it because it's not an ugly thing. The second in that relationship is, is the wife, and, and she's told to be submissive to her husband. And then out of that relationship comes what? Children. And children are to do what? They're to honor their father and their mother. The Holy Spirit brings honor to the Father, and to the Son. He's always leading us to Jesus. And, and, and so we, we can see that, that God has created as he's created, he's created as he is. He hasn't just created randomly into the world out there. As a matter of fact, you'll see all kinds of threes in creation. There are, um, <clears throat> there are three states of matter, liquid gas, uh, solid liquid gas. There is uh, three states of time, past, present, and future. There are uh, three primary colors. There are th there's all kinds of threes. We, we just, it, it's really cool. But anyway, God is created as he is. The Holy Spirit, though, again, is a person. And, and not, just, um, not just a force, 
not just God's active force in the world, truly a, a person. But we see that the person of the Holy Spirit has attributes of personhood. He teaches. He guides. He can be grieved. Um, we see his presence um, in creation even. We see that the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep. We see that, we see that basically God says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It says that, 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 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And then what happened? God spoke. And the Word of God created all things. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that the Word was God and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and so, so the Spirit in the Bible is given many kinds of names. It's the, the Spirit of Revelation, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of God, the Eternal Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Wisdom, the Spirit of Counsel, the Spirit of Might, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, the spirit of judgment, spirit of burning, the spirit of the Lord God, the breath of the Almighty, the comforter, the spirit of truth, the power of the highest, the spirit of the Father, the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, the free spirit, spirit of prophecy, the seven spirits of God, spirit of holiness, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of life, the spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Grace. Acts 13, 2, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Acts 5, the Holy Spirit can be lied to. This is also, too, in, in Acts 5, where we see this story of Ananias and Sapphira. We also see that the Holy Spirit there is proclaimed to be God because it says, first, that they lied to the Holy Spirit, and later they say, you lied to God when you did that. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. The Holy Spirit can be sinned against. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit helps us make decisions. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us. He helps and intercedes for us. And he bears witness with our spirit. And he glorifies Christ. So there are um, some things here, some verses here that we want to look to in particular as we look to this and we think about what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. First one is this, John 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So, so it's the Spirit of God that draws us to Jesus. Remember, Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So we see that the Spirit, when it says also here that no one can come unless the Father who sent me draws him, what is the means by which the, that the Father draws us to Jesus, who then draws us into the Father, is the Holy Spirit. We see that all three of the persons of the Trinity are involved in salvation. You see, this is why the blasphemy of the Spirit is the unforgivable sin. Anybody ever wondered about the blasphemy of the Spirit? You're like, dang, I think I might have done that. You know, what does that look like? Think of it this way. If, if the Spirit is the means by which God is drawing us to Jesus, who is our rescuer, think about this. Jesus is in the lifeboat, and we're all out in the ocean, 
and we're, we're going under, we're drowning, we're, we're doggy paddling, trying to stay on the top. And God wants to rescue us out of this situation. And so God throws the donut on the rope, the Holy Spirit, out to us. And we're out there and we're drowning. And when we take that, he's drawing us and he pulls us in when we receive that. But you see, if we reject that, if we reject the means by which God draws us to the point of salvation, which is Jesus and the cross, the forgiveness of sins, if we reject that, and we continue to reject that throughout our, the whole of our physical life here, then that's the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin isn't murder or mayhem or some awful sin that, that people, it's, it's the rejection of God's means of drawing us to himself. It's the means by which we're drawn to Jesus. It's that provenient grace that God gives us where he illuminates to us truth. And we go, wait a minute, that's the truth. I'm, I need a rescuer. I need a savior. And we grab onto that, and then we're saved out of that. But if we refuse that, it's unforgivable. The reason it's unforgivable is not because of something we've done. It's unforgivable because we rejected God's means of salvation. It says that the power that, that raised Jesus up lives in us, and he will raise us up in him on the last day. John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Notice that Jesus, was he's saying this again, this idea, you're going to be better off. You're going to be better off when the Holy Spirit comes. We're going to talk about why here just in a second. But listen to how he uh, talks to him. He will come. He will uh, do these things. He will convict the world of concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So it's the Holy Spirit that, that basically, again, in, in that provenient grace, that, that illumination that God gives us about who he is, it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand our sin. It's to help us to get real with the reality of the sin that's in our life <clears throat> and the reality that that sin is making a separation in our relationship to God. It's the Holy Spirit who does that, but, but the Holy Spirit doesn't do it through condemnation. He doesn't do it through accusation. He does it through revelation. He witnesses with our spirit that we're just wrong in there, that, that, we, that we have a need, that we have a need to be reconciled in our relationship to God. It, it's totally counter to the accuser or Satan who wants to make you and I into our actions. See, it's the beauty of Christianity is that, is that people aren't their actions. We aren't what we've done. That isn't what identifies us. That isn't who makes us who we are. It's being created in the very image of God that gives us our identity. But the accuser wants to continue to tell people, you are what you've done. You've gone too far. You went too far. You, you did it. You blasphemed the spirit by what you've done. God would never accept you or, or, or have anything to do with you. And if only those people around you knew the reality of what you'd done, they'd have nothing to do with you either. 
See, our greatest fear is to be fully known and rejected. The beauty of the gospel is that we're fully known and accepted and loved and brought into relationship with God through the cross. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, who, who brings the reality, who helps us to understand, too, what's going on around us and to call it what it is, that it's sin, that it's wrong. And even if the world, if everybody is doing it, it's still wrong because God is the God of morality. See, judgment is this, is this thing, it's, just, it's here. Jesus said he didn't come to judge the world because, because the world was already under judgment. He came to rescue those out of judgment. Again, and the Holy Spirit being the, the, the buoy by which we are able to come back and come to Jesus. Titus 3.5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit regenerates us. See, when we recognize that God has this plan, that he's thrown this buoy, that we grab it, that he pulls us to Jesus. You see, the Bible says that the, that the Holy Spirit causes, again, we talked about this last week, but the spirit that was within us, when, when we sin, it's dead. It's dead and separated from God because of sin. But through the cross and through the forgiveness of our sins, we can be made new again. And we can be born again into a completely new creation. The same you, yes, but as you were always intended to be. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. No longer subject just to the things of this world, but understanding and hearing from God. Being regenerated and made new. All who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. He regenerates us. We become born again. And remember, to be born again, this is why we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. To be born again is a beginning place. It's not a finished place. We, we tend to sometimes as Christians think about salvation as being the end game, but God tells us it's actually the beginning game. It's where it starts. It's where new life and new things start. It's that place where, where we need to be to have this, the, the life, the, the spirit within us brought to life that we might hear God and that we might operate in accordance with his guidelines and his morals. 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So it, it, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. It's, it's the mystery. It's the crazy thing of salvation. That the Bible says that when we say yes to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit actually comes and lives inside of us. That we're brought into the, the Godhead. We're brought into the, the very nature and the being of God through the Holy Spirit. We're connected now with God. It's like the Holy Spirit is holding us on to Jesus and Jesus is holding us on to the Father. And we're all there in relationship now. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. That didn't really go away when Jesus left the earth. Yes, he was Emmanuel and he came as God with us. But when he left, he sent the helper. He sent another person of the, of, of the Godhead 
to come and to live inside of us, to live in us, to indwell us, and to change us. Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why is there no law against those things? Because there's no need for a law against those things. Those things are good and they're always good. And these are the, these are the, this is the fruit that when the Spirit has indwelled us, when our spirit has come back to life and, and, and God has indwelled us, when he's taken the, 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 the tuner and he's tuned us in to his voice and his nature and his character and we're living according to this, these are the things that begin to come out of our lives. These are the things that are evidence to the reality that God is living inside of us. You see, the Spirit is in, at work inside of us, sanctifying us. And sanctification is the process that we begin after salvation where we're becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. That in our lives, we're beginning to... doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we got this all figured out. But we're now in a process that we weren't before. We were just living for ourselves, separate, and, and to just go in our own ways, not worried about a lot of things about the world or people around us. But something changes when the, when the nature and the character of God is inside of you. You see, when you've had, a, when you've had an encounter with the creator of the universe, it, it starts to look like change in your life. Things start to manifest themselves out of your life that weren't always there before. And these nine different aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are things that start to come into our lives. And this sanctification, it's a lifelong process. If you, I think if you figure it out, if you, if you get there, if you arrive, I think you got to leave. You know, I don't think you get to stay. So all of us are, we're, we're all being sanctified. We're all being created more and more and more into the image of God. We're being, we're, God is, the, the Holy Spirit is, is convicting us. And thank God he doesn't do it all at once. You know, it's not like you become a believer and the Holy Spirit just goes, bam, here's everything that's wrong with you. I'd fall over today if you did that, right? He begins to show us and he begins to teach us and he begins to change us. And as we're ready and as we're maturing and as things are happening in our lives and experiences are going on around us, he's helping us to work things out in our lives, to, to become more like Jesus. John 14, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. <clears throat> The Spirit teaches and reminds us. He's guiding us all the time. And He's speaking into your spirit. He's speaking the things of God and the Word of God into your, and the application of the Word of God into our spirits and then out and into our lives. It says that He will teach us all things and bring to remembrance all that He has said to us. The Spirit, Acts 4, when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. It's the Spirit of God that will help us to speak the Word of God with boldness into the world around us, to, to be able to, to speak and to testify and to proclaim the things of God, both the things that God is doing in our lives and the things that God wants to do in the world. 
And we actually get to the opportunity to be the people who have the message, the bold message that says grab on to that lifeline right there and get pulled out of the mess that you're in right now. It's the spirit that gives boldness and allows us to speak truth. It's the spirit that it says in Acts that that, that he, he gave words when they were standing before their accusers and before judges and all of those things, that, that the Spirit of God gave them the things to say. And Jesus even told them, wait, and the Spirit will give you the things to say. First Corinthians 12, <clears throat> to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Anna talks a lot about this gift cascade and and it's a really cool thing. You see, the Father is given the Son, the Son is given the Spirit, and the Spirit is given gifts. And the church is called now to go and to give back into the world around us and to take these things and to understand that, that God has given you gifts, that you have gifts that are meant to be exercised within this church body. And, and if those gifts aren't being exercised and used within the church body, then the church body isn't actually operating in the way in which the church is designed to operate. See, the church has never been this idea that the pastor or whoever would just do the stuff. Sometimes we, we're like, hey, I've got a great idea. Here's what you should do. Here's what we should do. It's always we. Within the church, it's <clears throat> the church is, is too often, the church today has become a form of entertainment, and it's, and it's driving a consumer, um, a consumer attitude, really. People come to church with this attitude, what's church going to do for me? How good is it? How good are the, all the things that are going on? What's happening? How good is the worship? Because I can tell you what, if it's not good enough here, it's pretty good down the street. And, and we've lost the idea of faithfulness which is one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? A fruit of the Spirit there is, is faithfulness. That, that when we see something in our church body and, and, and we believe that our church body needs improvement, and they all do, that we would be willing to be part of, of bringing good things into our church body, that we would be willing to be a participant, that we would recognize that maybe it's you that has the gift, and maybe that's why you're recognizing some lack in our church body right now. Maybe God has gifted you with something that, that he wants to have manifested and displayed and used within the church body here. And it's for the edification of everyone that's in here. See, when you get gifts by the Holy Spirit, they're not for you. They're for the church. They're to be used in the church. They're not to be hoarded. They're not to be silenced or pushed back. They're to be used within the church body. Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. <clears throat> the Spirit leads our worship. And it connects us in worship. And, and again, worship is a much bigger, larger thing than we tend to think of it. It's not just music. Our worship service is, is much broader than that. It's, it's prayer. It's the reading of God's Word. It's singing. It's, the, it's, it's delivering God's Word. It's, it's the edification that's going on within the church body. All of these things are forms and means of worship. But it tells us, don't allow yourself to be overcome or, or, or mastered or controlled by something like wine, something that would master you and kind of have control of you, but allow the Spirit of God to do that. Allow the Spirit of God to master you, to, to fill you, and to guide you in everything. And then look what happens. Out of that, it says that we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the Lord in our hearts. See, music is a powerful medium, isn't it? I mean, if you think about how powerful music is, music is created by God for worship, and all music has something as an object of worship. All music is elevating something and saying and putting it to the place of, of highest in our lives. And it's interesting because we, we tend to identify who we are by what we listen to. And, we, um, and it opens us up for a message that's within that. And I believe that that's the function and the, the means of worship is that, is that it, it prepares us. It goes into a deep place. It, it touches us emotionally in a ways that a lot of things don't. And so it's telling us here... It's important that you allow the Spirit to fill you, and out of that, your worship would come. And then, you know, another thing of being filled with the Spirit is giving thanks always for everything to God. Not just for the good things, but for everything. See, because we live in a world where everything isn't going to be good. But if we trust and we believe that this God is bigger and He's greater and He's capable and even in the hard times and the difficult things that he's at work and he's doing something. And like we sang earlier, even if we don't feel it or see it, it's still true. Sometimes we feel like if we're not feeling it, then it's not true. We're living in a world that's, that's basing everything about truth on feelings. And the Bible warns us very much. It says, look, you can't really trust your feelings. Oh, it's not that they're not something. It's not that they're not there. It's not that they don't have a function. But if you live your life just by your feelings, you'll get yourself in some real jams. Because a lot of times we'll feel like things would be good that really don't bless us in the long run. <clears throat> that we would give thanks for everything. And we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That we would be submitting to one another. That we would be considering one another as more important than ourselves. Acts 16 tells us this. And when then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The Spirit guides us. It's the Spirit that guides us and is going to tell us and help us to know where to go and what to do. I think sometimes we need to get better at practicing this. How many times in a situation or a setting with God do you feel like you feel like God impresses on you like just something simple like you should go talk to that person real quick. You should go and just you should go over there and introduce yourself or say hi or <clears throat> or maybe you should pray for this person. And so often we kind of push that to the side. We're like, eh, was that, I, I, I don't know if that. What if we started to really listen to that? What if we really started to allow ourselves and we began to practice that? And I think if we started to practice that, that would mean this. That would mean that you probably didn't get it right all the time. But as you practiced it, you would start to maybe get better at understanding the, the voice of God in our lives, the promptings of the Spirit in our lives. Maybe instead of just writing it off and being like, ah, oh, that was nothing. That was the pizza I had last night. Maybe we might be like, you know what? Do I believe there's a God out there who speaks to me? Do I believe that there's a God who, who has a desire for, and a plan for, for things in, the, in our lives? And, you know, anything that God tells you always has to back up and it has to match up with God's word. But, but I believe that God is, is going to speak to us and he's going to give us direction. This has to go here and to go there. You know, honestly, when I was getting ready for this, I was, uh, well, I wasn't getting ready for this. I was just trying to figure out where to go next to preach. And I was praying. I was walking around the, the sanctuary here and praying. And all of a sudden, literally almost out of the blue, I felt like God said, preach on the Holy Spirit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to practice that, you know. I'm, I'm going I'm to trust and believe that that was from the Lord today, and that that's what he has for us. Finally, Ephesians 1.13 says this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Spirit seals us. And what does that mean? It means it puts the mark of God on your life. It means that is that you will never be forsaken or forgotten about. God will never <clears throat> undo his promises to you because you've been sealed, and you've been sealed by him. The book of Romans tells us that even when we're faithless, he's faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you if you're in Christ, and therefore you can never be rejected by God. And you're a co-heir with Christ. And to be a co-heir means that everything is yours that is Christ. This is a God who's holding nothing back, who's given everything for us, who's came and, and purchased redemption for us. One of the verses back says we were bought with a price. First Peter tells us it wasn't something cheap like silver or gold either. It was the precious blood that Jesus spilled for us. That it was his life poured out for us. 
so that we might be acceptable before a holy and righteous God. And then that God, that holy and righteous God would actually come and indwell us and live in us and speak to us and sanctify us and change us and guide us and help us and walk with us and mourn with us and celebrate with us. And so the reality of that is that you and I are never, ever, ever alone. See, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a member of the triune Godhead, and he's revealing Christ to us. He brings those who are called to salvation to Christ. He reveals the sinfulness and the reality of our need for a Savior to us. He draws us towards Christ, and then he unites us with Christ. Jesus is the Savior of the world and his perfect life and sacrificial death his victorious resurrection. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And the Spirit teaches us all of this truth. He guides us in truth. He sanctifies us. He keeps us. He holds us. He produces righteous fruit in our lives. He gifts us and he equips us for the work that he has for us. And he's going to keep us until the very end, until we are eternally united with Christ, and we take possession of all that Jesus has prepared for us. It's the Spirit that's uniting us with Christ, and it's Jesus who unites us to the Father, and He's the one who's holding all of this together. Lord, we thank You. We thank You that You have sent Your Spirit, that You have sent Your Spirit to guide us and to teach us, to sanctify us, to to change us, to help us, to comfort us, to counsel us. Lord, we need your spirit. We just ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would walk according to all of the good things that you have planned, that we would know you more, Lord. We want to know you, Holy Spirit. We want to not just experience you. We're not just looking for experiences with you. We want to know you and experience you. We want, to, we want to understand more about how to walk with you. We want to hear from you. Because, Lord, we need to go outside of these doors today, and we need to make a difference in the community around us. We need to love well, even when it's hard and when we don't feel like it. And we're going to need you, and we're going to need your power and your spirit to do those things. We live in a world that is struggling with just so much deception. People are believing the lies. They're... They're, they're caught up in the wrong identities. And Lord, your spirit is the, is the answer to that. Jesus, the Savior, is the answer to that. God, the Father, and his holiness is the answer to that. Lord, may we go out of here and may we, may we be quick to throw the, the buoy. May we tell people, may we speak boldly by the power of the Spirit. And Lord, we may ask that that through us, through, through us who, who don't deserve your goodness, might we be vessels of who you are. Might we be agents and ambassadors of your love and hope. Might we make a difference in the world that we live in. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, that's your plan. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.